Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Again, the New York Jets lose, this time worse than ever, 26-0. They don't even put up a single point against the Denver Broncos in Denver. This was another ugly game. The Jets are 0-3. Everything that we thought that was going to be exciting, like Zach Wilson and the offense and the offensive line, it's not come to fruition. This has been a difficult start to the year, and there's a ton to get to on this one. Obviously, super discouraging to see kind of the results of these games and the way the Jets are doing it as well. It's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to lose, you know, to the Patriots throwing four interceptions or to the Broncos not even putting up a point. So a ton to unpack here. Before we do that, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, anywhere podcasts are found under the Gangrene Nation podcast title series title. This is the Jet Life. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Now I got that out of the way. We can start talking about this horrendous Jets loss. 26 to 0. Uh, we're going to do this in our usual makeup. We're going to do some game injuries and news. We're going to talk about positives and negatives from the game, looking at it kind of from two different angles. Then we're going to do a game recap, talk about team stats, offensive performance, defensive performance. We're going to look at the AFC East. Then we're going to talk about next week's matchup against the Titans. And as always, I have the two fun sections, Father Time and What's on Tap. But I'm going to be honest, I'm going to try to kind of fly through this episode because this isn't one that I want to talk about. This isn't one that you probably want to listen to. We do need to put this game behind us and move on, but there are some things to take away from it. Believe it or not, there were a few bright spots in this game. 
And there's definitely a ton that we're learning about this team as the year goes on. We know that we're the youngest team in the league. We have a ton of evaluation to do with the new coaching staff, the new roster, all these players and draft picks that we're working in. A lot of one-year deals. This is not a finished product by any stretch of the imagination. We are probably the most unfinished team in the league. But still, there's a lot that we were hoping to see at this point. Talking injuries in this game, some guys that are progressing and looking like they could potentially be playing next week, that would be Ashton Davis, Sherrod Neesman, Connor McDermott. We haven't gotten a press conference from Robert Sala yet in this week, so I'd like to see what he says about those guys. We haven't seen a injury report come out from practice yet. Those happen Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, where we find out who's questionable or ready to play. Um, so eventually the Jets will move these guys onto the active roster. Hopefully those two players, Davis and Neesman, you really like to get them back because it's been a revolving door at the safety position so far this year. And they're trying guys like Gerard Wilson to get him involved. He came up this week. We tried Redwine, tried Adrian Colbert. It's not really working there. We miss LaMarcus Joyner, and we miss, you know, Ashton Davis and Sherrod Neesman, the other two guys that should be in the mix. Connor McDermott could potentially be coming back. Not a needle mover, but if you have any injuries to George Fant or Morgan Moses, while Mackay Becton is out until week seven or so, you do have another option rather than being stuck with Chuma Adoga. You can kind of let those two players battle that out. And then Crowder wasn't able to play this week. He was coming back from the illness. He's still a little a little banged up and uh, not ready to play it. But I think as soon as he's ready to go, he's going to be kind of pushed into this offense because he's a veteran. Robert Salas said that he trusts him. He doesn't need to be, like, schemed in and work with the scheme. He's been playing for a long time. He knows what to do. And he can offer a lot more than we've gotten on offense so far this year. There's no reason not to get him involved when he's ready to go. So we'll look for that. John Franklin Myers did not play in this game. Calf injury. Hopefully he'll be back next week as he's been, you know, in the first two weeks, he was our best defensive player um, on the defensive line. Probably the only player that was playing better on defense was C.J. Mosley, but he's in the linebacker group, so the best defensive lineman, John Franklin Myers, didn't have him for this game, hopefully back for next game. And then Elijah Moore is being evaluated for concussion, concussion protocol. We know how that stuff goes. That can be a week. It can be two weeks. depends on when he clears everything, ready to go for game time. He has practiced with the team, has played in games, so obviously he's not like behind on the scheme or anything. If he's cleared to go, he should be able to be added right into the offense. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully, Crowder's the big one there. If we can get him back, it's not as big of a deal not having more. Obviously, you want to have all of your players. But I think at this point, from what we've seen, yeah, Moore's going to be probably a fine player, but he's not quite there yet. Doesn't have the same chemistry with Elijah Moore. Crowder's a guy that's proven to have chemistry with basically every quarterback he's ever played with. And he's been the most successful Jets wide receiver for the last two years. If you throw him in there with Corey Davis, maybe a little Keelan Cole, Braxton Berrios, who we know Zach Wilson already has some confidence in. Now you're looking like maybe we can take this thing a step further than from these, <laughs> these performances we've had on offense recently. So talking about the game, I want to talk about it from two viewpoints, like I've been doing this year, negatives and positives, because there's always two ways to look at things. I want to start with the negatives, and then play devil's advocate, talk about like a positive viewpoint of everything. Talking negatively, this Jets team is playing bad football. I mean, I came into this year saying that I thought we would be a good offense with a bad defense. It's been quite the opposite. The defense has been okay. The offense has been horrible. The Jets are getting worse in every game. I mean, they lost the first game scoring 14 points. Then they played the Patriots, scored six points. Against the Broncos, they scored none. You look on the other side, they gave up 19 points to the Panthers, then 25 to the Patriots, and 26 to the Broncos. This is getting progressively worse and worse. Lose by five, lose by 19, now lose by 26. When does it end? I mean, we were coming in here excited to see this new offense, excited to see Zach Wilson and start making some big throws, these weapons that we have. We have the best receiving core we've had in a long time, a bunch of running backs, hopefully a new offensive line, 
young quarterback with an offensive coordinator who's supposed to be making it really easy on quarterbacks. That was kind of the whole thing about Michael Flores. This is an offense, the Shanahan offense, that makes it easy on a quarterback. And it has looked anything but. Everything is out of sorts. The receivers aren't getting open. They're running really lazy routes. I don't know if it's schemed in, in improperly or whether these guys just can't get open, can't get any separation. We would hope that they could at this point, but you know, it doesn't look like it's being made easier by the offensive coordinator. We had coming into this the tied tied for the fewest passes to the running back through the first two weeks, which is kind of crazy considering you got a rookie quarterback who's struggling. Get it to some easy passes. Get some flare passes, some yards after catch. This looks nothing like the 49ers offense. I mean, that's what I was thinking we were going to see. But you watch them play. They've got, you know, a ton of motion, a ton of movement, a ton of wide receiver handoffs, easy passes, letting guys get yak, letting Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk flourish with the ball in their hands, not necessarily catching it deep downfield, but getting it early, getting it easily, and then going. We aren't doing any of that. And it's been ugly, hard to watch, and that's the negatives. If you want to take some positives away from this game, I think there are some. I think that at this point in time, we expected the Jets to be probably 1-2 and two or 0-3. Oh we knew that this was a new team, a bunch of young players, the youngest in the league with new coaches and everything. And the big thing was everybody said, be patient. Everybody's hammered. Be patient with Zach Wilson before the year began. He's going to have some growing pains. It's going to be tricky early on. They have a hard schedule early on, and we've seen it. So in reality, we are kind of on schedule for what we expected. We were expecting the team to be struggling, Zach Wilson to struggle early, and these defenses to be strong and stout against us. I think aside from a few of the early injuries like Carl Lawson's, the Jets are one of the healthier teams in the NFL, and they're getting healthier each week. You know, Elijah Moore is getting evaluated for a concussion, but you're potentially getting back guys like Ashton Davis, Sherrod Neesman, Jamison Crowder, John Franklin Myers. These people will be worked back in. Going to get guys like Braden Mann back soon, Gerard Davis, Mekhi Becton. The team gets better from that as long as you don't lose guys along the way. So far, they haven't. They have some easy games coming up still. They still play the Falcons, the Bengals, the Texans, the Jaguars, the Colts. I mean, I'm not saying that the Jets are going to beat all these teams, but these are teams that if we had played, if we'd started the season with, like, you know, Eagles, Jaguars, Texans for the first three weeks, we would be talking totally differently about this Jets team. We'd be saying, hey, they're really young, but they're showing some promise. They're getting some life going here and there. Unfortunately, we've played some of the toughest defenses in the entire league. And I said it last week in the podcast, I said, like, it's not going to get easier against the Broncos. Don't expect things to get better there. And when you watched this game, I do think that there was some life from the team. I do think that they actually played some competitive football. They shot themselves in the foot consistently, you know, getting penalties at the wrong time. They had a field goal made from, like, 56 yards, got a delay a game penalty, went to a 61-yarder, they had to punt it. Missed out on points there. Getting really close, driving down the field, getting penalties, knocking themselves back out of range. Getting off the field and then having a penalty and having to stay back on the field for defense. I mean, they really didn't make it easier on themselves, but they did play some nice defensive drives where they were able to, you know, use their scheme, call the right plays, execute properly, and put the Broncos in tough situations. And when they didn't have penalties or make a big mistake, they actually were able to get off the field. And offensively, there were a few drives where Zach Wilson was picking up little yardage here and there. Problem was that, like, nobody looked open while he was doing it. There were a couple nice drop-ins that he had, but he was throwing to, like, guys that were being blanketed and throwing to a tiny little window. And there were opportunities for the Jets to score in this game, sure. But, obviously, it didn't happen. And the Jets lose this one 26-0. I think that next week will be better. I don't think they're going to be as bad as 26-0. This hopefully will be the worst loss that we see all year. There are a couple, a couple other hard games going up. I mean, the Buccaneers is going to be no walk in the park. 
We also have to play the Dolphins twice, the Bills twice, and the Patriots again. So watch out for those games. But there are some better games coming up, some opportunities for the Jets' offense to look much better than it has thus far. So that's kind of the, the positive and negative takeaways from the game overall. Now before we go over to the offense, the defense, the team stats, and all that, I do want to see what my dad has to say on his father time submission because, you know, like everybody, I leave this game saying, like, what do we really take away from this game? How are we feeling right now? How can we convince ourselves that, you know, it's not the end of the world, that things can get better? I want to see what my dad had to say. So this is his father time, this week's submission, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. The New York Jets are the youngest team in the NFL and with a lot of rookies, maybe the most. Well, there's more to it than rookies on the field. Robert Sala is a rookie head coach. Michael Floor is a rookie offensive coordinator. Jeff Ulbrich had half a season as defensive coordinator with Atlanta, just a half. Joe Douglas had no previous general manager experience prior to the Jets. And, of course, Zach Wilson is our 22-year-old rookie quarterback and is having mighty struggles. Teams know that if you mess with Zach, you win the game. That is a fact, and their game plan isn't going to change week to week until Zach can execute. So what's happening? Not enough experience and too many experiments? Too many experiments? The price of our new quarterback who has no experience? I don't know what the answer is, and I'm not sure I want to know. But I know this. Tennessee is coming to town, and they have a big runner in Derrick Henry, and I'll be very interested to see the progress that the Jets make coming out of the game. After week four, the season is almost one quarter done, and rookies need to be pros very, very soon on this team, both on and off the field. I'm nervously searching for bright spots, winning the plays, stringing them together into bigger drives or drive stoppers, being consistent, that'll breed confidence. It's all to be determined. Is this just a trial by fire across the whole team? Is it temporary growing pains? Or is the sideline just as confused as Zach is? I'm nervously waiting the answers to these questions. Go Jets. End scene. So, wow. I mean, I get this thing wondering, like, what is my dad going to be thinking about all this? And he's doing the exact same thing. He's, like, deferring. How do we get past this week? How do we move on? He's watching this whole thing, like, I don't know what the issue is. Obviously, something isn't right. But his you know, one of the things that I thought was the best line in there is, are the sidelines as confused as Zach Wilson? Meaning, is Zach Wilson out there and they have a scheme and they've got a game plan and guys running routes and they're like, listen, when you look at the tape, you throw here, 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 and here. Or is he being thrown out there and they're trying to figure out what to do and they're watching just as confused as him, like, ah, we don't know what to call. We don't know how to get these guys open. And he's struggling trying to figure out, like, well, what am I supposed to do? It's not an obvious, clear answer of, this is your look, this is your read, this is the guy he should be open what if they're experimenting more? What if Michael Floor, who's never called an NFL game, never been a play caller before the Jets, isn't in a little bit over his head here? I mean, he doesn't seem to have that Kyle Shanahan magic, you know, with the creativity and all that. But you do wonder, is that because Zach Wilson's not ready to do it? Is that because he's just not executing it? Is that because he's looking other ways rather than doing the game plan, calling audibles, things like that? I mean, these are the things that we don't really know at this point in time. And you can ask the coaches this stuff in the press conferences all you want. They're going to give you a nice diplomatic answer and say, you know, everybody's doing their job. There's a lot of things. We just have to execute. And execution is the big thing. And having good resolve in the team. That's one of Robert Sala's favorite words is let's have resolve. But, yeah, I mean, I'm nervously awaiting the answers too because we really needed to see some improvement this year. The goal was that the Jets were going to be young, evaluating, finding some good pieces, and by next year with the cap space they have and the additional draft picks, they should be right on the fringe of playoff contention. But if the Jets are winning two, three, four games this entire season, they're not going to be there. They've got to be in that five, six, seven range. And I originally going into the season said seven, eight wins, but with Carl Lawson injured, I moved it down to like five, six. 
I think it's going to be tough to get to five or six. I mean, the way that they're playing right now, there's plenty of time left, and we've seen teams be one team in the first half of the season, a totally team, different team in the second half. That happens all the time. So I'm not going to sit here and say it's not going to happen for the Jets. But I will say that we haven't seen it. There's not a lot of reason to watch the Jets-Broncos game and say, well, they're going to come out against the Titans and play a great game. We need to see it. And once we've seen a performance where Zach Wilson can move the ball around the field, the running game can get going, and the offensive line can mash, that's when we're going to start feeling like, all right, it is possible. We know what it looks like. The Jets haven't scored a touchdown since week one. They had a bad first half against the Panthers in week one. They scored two touchdowns to Corey Davis in the second half. Then haven't scored one since. I mean, no rushing touchdowns. No receiving touchdowns for anybody other than Corey Davis. No defensive touchdowns. The team doesn't have an interception. It's just been... It's been struggle city. We have two field goals made on the entire year. I mean, come on, let's get this offense rolling. So thank you for the father time submission, Dad. I am with you. I completely agree. You know, we have all these young people, and it's a ton of questions because everybody's unproven. It's not like we know this is the Michael Floor offense that he runs, and this is what Zach Wilson isn't doing right. It's first time for everybody. We don't know where the shortcomings are coming here. We just know that the end result and the products on the field, not good enough yet. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate the father time. And before we move over to the next section, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Alrighty, everybody. Welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to talk about this Jets-Broncos game. We're going to dive deep into the stats and the player performances. And it was an ugly game, start to finish. The Jets, you know, they held the Broncos down a little bit early. They got a couple nice stops. And then, you know, they picked up a first down real early in the game. I think we all came in to this game worried after last game's four interception performance. Of course, we wanted to see what Zach Wilson would look like. And that first throw of the game, chucking it to a Corey Davis for 11 yards where he was blanketed, barely got the ball in there. Corey Davis gets the first down, and it was the only first down that we had for like the next two, three drives. But I think that was a really alarming throw right there because it was last week he was forcing the ball to Corey Davis and the ball was getting picked off. This week the game starts and he's forcing it 11 yards downfield to a covered guy, and that's one of the situations that, like, if Corey Davis isn't able to catch it or the defensive back gets his hand in there and the ball tips up and it's intercepted again, it's, like, all about to crumble down exactly where we left off. Luckily, it was completed, but it just showed that still it's not there. Nothing easy. There's nothing easy for this offense ever. I mean, in this game, they had 11 first downs total. The Broncos had 22. Now, the Jets' total yardage, 162 yards, is not good at all. It's better than some other teams around the league. I like to look around and find some other teams that did worse than the Jets. If you look at Justin Fields' performance with the Bears against the Cleveland Browns, it'll make you feel a lot better about Zach Wilson and what he did on the field. But at the end of the day, I mean, we want to see more. The rookie class has been leaving a lot to be desired. We were supposed to see a great Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, it was going to be, and Mac Jones. It was going to be this big super group of new quarterbacks. Like, what a nice group and class of quarterbacks. It hasn't happened. I mean, Mac Jones looks bad. Justin Fields has had absolutely no success yet. Trevor Lawrence has looked bad. This is partially just being on not great teams and guys just being young, but we're seeing these rookies needing a little bit more time. They're not just going to come in there and light the world up. Everybody's looking for that Justin Herbert season. 
I was hoping that was going to happen for Zach Wilson. It isn't. It's not happening. We had 3.1 yards per play in this game, 119 net passing yards. And Zach Wilson was getting sacked consistently. Five sacks in this game for 41 yards lost. Now, last week, we couldn't pass the ball at all against the Patriots, but we could run the ball. We ran the ball very, very well. In this game, we couldn't run. We couldn't pass. 119 passing yards, 43 rushing yards. 3.3 yards per rush in this game. It's not good enough. You have to make it easier on Zach Wilson. You need to pick up some yardage early. Wasn't happening. Michael Carter was getting a lot of handoffs. He did have a couple nice gainers, but he also lost yardage on some plays, like five-yard losses a few times that really set the team back. It was just consistently, like every time the Jets were driving the ball down the field, it was a penalty, it was a, a sack taken by Zach Wilson holding the ball too long or trying to escape, not able to do it, or a negative yardage run. There were so many things that were just happening to just set us back every time we started making progress. And the Broncos didn't really tear us apart, to be honest. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater threw 235 yards, no touchdowns. Melvin Gordon had an all right game, but when you look at the total you know, efficiency of the team, they also had 3.3 yards per rush. They ran the ball 37 times for 121 yards. So 121 yards looks okay, but 37 rushes, it's not very efficient. They didn't beat us up. There were a few drives that they were able to get 10-yard play, 10-yard play. There was a lot of third downs being picked up by Teddy Bridgewater. If he wasn't pressured and he wasn't, like, you know, knocked over early, if he had four seconds, he was making one, two, three reads, finding the open guy. There was almost always a guy wide open on those third downs. Made it look easy. They moved the ball down the field. They had 22 first downs, like I said, to R11. And while the offense wasn't explosive for the Broncos, they executed it perfectly. They did exactly what they had to do. They ran the ball when they needed to. They grinded the ball out at the end of the game. 35 minutes time of possession to R24 minutes. And Teddy Bridgewater was going through his reads, picking up the first downs. On third down efficiency, they were 4 for 11, which is pretty good. We helped him out, giving him three first downs from penalties. But, you know, they did the right things in this game. It's kind of what you would want to see from a Zach Wilson. Don't be afraid to just be 19 of 25 like Teddy was. 235 yards. You don't need the touchdowns, the big plays. Just find the guys that are open and be comfortable. But you can tell Zach Wilson is not comfortable in the pocket. The receivers aren't getting open. He's not finding open guys, and they're not being schemed there. So it was tough going. We're going to talk about the players individually. Uh, now we're going to start on offense and actually start with Zach Wilson. My biggest issue with him, he finished this game 160 yards. He had two picks, 19 of 35. So, again, a horrible stat line. His stats this season are abysmal. He's got so many. It's like two touchdowns to seven interceptions. You're looking for, like, a two-to-one the other way. Um not been good, but I think the issue in this one is the guys aren't getting open. He's not finding people easily, trying to force stuff in there. You know, if guys are getting open, he's not seeing it, and he's holding the ball for too long, waiting for somebody to get open. He's consistently holding the ball for four seconds or more, and in this game, he tried to escape on a few of those where he was standing back there, standing back there, looking, waiting, watching. Somebody comes, and he thinks that he can just escape or do some elusive maneuvers, kind of like he did last week against the Patriots a few times. It didn't really happen this week. He sacked him five times. He lost 41 yards on those sacks, and he looked uncomfortable. He didn't run the ball very well either, so we need to get him moving more. We need to get him rolling out. We need to get some easy plays, like I said, some screen passes, some passes to the running backs, some trickery, just here or there, just to keep teams on their toes a little bit. He should be able to handle that. The amount of film that they talk about him studying and the, the level of work that he puts in, you know, try some more creative stuff. Try some quick one-two throw. Some passes like that. Because everything that's getting picked off, all the lack of success that we're seeing are plays that are taking four seconds or more. It's him standing back in the in the pocket, throwing a deep ball, waiting. Him standing back there waiting to get sacked. Yeah, It's just, 
try to make some quick stuff, some timing plays, not necessarily reads and looking through one, two, three reads. How about just one, two, pop? This guy will be open because the defense is this. You have, this is your play. Check to see if it's man or zone. If it's man, all right, you got the slant, one, two, throw. If you see it's man, then you can audible out of it into a running player. You know, stuff like that to make it easy on him. A one, two look, and then an easy play. So I hope that Michael Ford starts doing that. We shall see. Thought it would happen after week one. Thought it would happen after week two. Hopefully it'll happen after week three. At some point, the offense does need to develop into something different than it's been. When you look at the running game, the running game wasn't necessarily very effective either. Michael Carter got the bulk of the carries, nine carries for 24 yards, 2.7 yards per attempt. I mean, he had a couple nice runs, and I think that his numbers were better than they, or his play was better than the numbers look. He had a couple plays that he lost like six yards and really put the numbers down there. But, uh, you know, obviously 24 total yards there. Ty Johnson actually played more snaps than Michael Carter in the game, but only had three carries for 17 yards. Ty Johnson was able to add in a really, really nice catch for first down. He was targeted five times in this game. He had one catch for six yards. The plays that were going to him, I mean, Zach Wilson was off target. There were a ton of players that were open at times that we had third downs or a running back open, and Zach Wilson was just off. He was throwing it in the dirt. He was throwing it wide. He was just airmailing it, just super uncomfortable. Made it very difficult on everybody. So Ty Johnson had that one really nice, tough first down where he was, like, getting tackled before the sticks, and then he just grinded forward for an extra yard or two, picked up the first down. That was on the drive that we almost could have scored a field goal, but came up short. Michael Carter, two catches for five yards in this game. So not much from the running backs. We didn't have Tevin Coleman. He's banged up. Josh Adams came onto the active roster but didn't get any carries in this game. Obviously, when you're losing for the entire game, 7-0 to zero, and 17-0, to zero, I mean, you start kind of abandoning the run, hoping that Zach Wilson can do it, which is the last thing that you want to see from a guy who's been struggling mightily. You want to see the opposite. You want to see, like, throw when we have to. Not, okay, here's a game where everyone can just key up on Zach Wilson, what he's doing, make sure that he's uncomfortable, and expect to throw every play. Just only ran the ball 12 times to their running backs in this game for 41 yards. Zach Wilson had one carry for two yards, but nothing there to make it easier on him. When you go to the receiving game, I mean, you watch this game. We score zero points. We have 160 total yards of offense. I have to pick an offensive player of the game for this. I almost decided to just say, nobody's getting it. Team wasn't good. But then I was like, you know what? That's a lazy approach. You've got like 15, 16 guys that are taking snaps on offense to sit back and say, nobody played a good game. There was no best player on offense. It's not really fair to the players. I'm going to say the best player on the Jets' offense in this game was Corey Davis. He was targeted 10 times, which shows... One, they're trying to get the ball to him that he is the player that they have the most faith in. But he's the only real player that had any efficiency or any sort of output. And he had 41 yards in this game on five catches. He had a 13-yarder, picked up a first down on an 11-yarder on the first player of the game. He had five catches. Nobody else on the team had more than three. You know, nobody in the running game had more than 24 yards. So Corey Davis was by far the most productive player in terms of moving the ball down the field. And he was targeted 10 times. The plays were run through him specifically, and Zach Wilson was looking his way. But he's the only guy that really turned anything into anything. You had Keelan Cole get two catches, 30 yards. He's playing 50% of snaps. You'd like to see more from that. Braxton Berrios, he had a really nice play, one catch. But, you know, he had two catches for 26 yards in this game. One was a 22-yarder that was beautiful. Another little tiny four-yarder, Elijah Moore. He had three catches for 22 yards on six targets. Jeff Smith had his one catch of the game for 13 yards. Tight ends, what I thought was interesting from the tight end group was Ryan Griffin actually played more snaps than Tyler Croft. It's the first time that's happened so far this season. It's mostly been Tyler Croft 
the lion's share, Ryan Griffin worked in. Not this game. They tried Ryan Griffin out. He had some penalties. He only had one catch for five yards. Not a good game from him. Tyler Croft, he had two catches for 12 yards. Not a great game from him. I mean, Trevon Wesco, he played 20 snaps in week one. He played two snaps in week two. He played three snaps this week, so he's basically been phased out of the offense. We're running this throw it to Corey Davis, throw short passes to Braxton Barrios, Elijah Moore, and then every once in a while when you're losing the game, hit a deep Jeff Smith, hit a deep Barrios or Elijah Moore, and make the numbers look a little bit better than they really are. It's basically where we're at with like a, a five-yard dump off to each tight end. It's uh, Corey Davis is the best player on this offense. There's a reason that he's got the 41 yards in this game. He's got the only two touchdowns on the offense. He's getting the most targets every single game. The balls are being kind of forced to him because he is the best one out there. I think Jamison Crowder will help getting him back because he is at a higher level than a Braxton Berrios, Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, Jeff Smith. He just is a notch up. Whatever we hoped Elijah Moore would be at this point in time, he's not there yet. I think he will be, but right now he's not. The offensive line, you know, you run the ball for 3.3 yards per carry. You give up five sacks for 41 yards. You have a handful of penalties. It's tough. This is a really good defense. We knew it would be. We don't have Mekhi Becton in there. The team is trying to get communication and stuff, but they haven't gelled yet. This doesn't look like the wrecking crew unit that we wanted Joe Douglas to be building. This is not that monster wall leveling people. It's a, it's a work in progress, and right now it's a struggle. And we need to see them get a little bit better. We need to see the communication step up. There's a couple shots in this game of, like, free rushers coming at Zach Wilson after, like, a three-step drop and an offensive lineman, Connor McGovern, and one specifically, where he's just standing there, like, not blocking anybody as a guy's walking right to his side. It's just like... You got to communicate and know who's picking up who. You can't have two guys blocking the same guy and nobody blocking one guy. Those are pre-snap reads that you have to have. Right now, they don't have it. The players have some skill and some ability, right? We know that Morgan Moses is a good right tackle. At times, he can play, you know, successfully. We know that Connor McGovern is a solid enough center. Elijah Vera Tucker is supposed to be a good left guard. But the communication is another part of the whole thing, and that has to be worked out. It's everything. Nothing is working right. You got the offensive line struggling, the wide receivers. They're all bunched up running the same routes. They're just standing around on the field half the time. They're running button hooks and just standing there waiting for the ball. And Zach Wilson's looking like, all right, everybody's covered and nobody's moving. So what am I supposed to do? Just chuck it into a guy that's just standing there? And that's what he was doing. And go figure, it wasn't very successful. It's just not coming together on offense, and they got to get it together. So that's what I saw from the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, zero points. Worst performance of the season to date. I expect bigger things coming next week and beyond. This should be the worst performance they have on offense, if we're lucky. But, uh, yeah, that's what we got there. Before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, we got to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is what's on tap. Today, I'm drinking a hard cider, Citizen Cider's dry hop cider called the Lake Hopper. A 16-ounce can, 6.2% alcohol. And now that it's the beginning of fall... It felt right to just kind of get into that fall mode. Fiance Shannon went to a little cider hall or something over the weekend, picked up some ciders. This is one of her favorite ones that she grabbed, I don't know, from a package store, maybe on the way back too. We have more cider in the fridge than we've had in months. It's kind of exciting because, you know, that uh, crisp Connecticut day, the nights are getting cold, the mornings are cold, and it's nice to have a sweet cider like this. This one is actually kind of dry, which is why I like it. They have a meter all these citizen ciders they have like a meter on the side of them that say whether they're dry or sweet and how far in the spectrum they are this one is one away from being as dry as it could be so kind of my style not too sweet 
doesn't taste like it'd be 6.2% alcohol. It tastes like it'd be like four. So you do get a little bit of extra bonus juice there. Not so bad. A fine what's on tap, but in reality, we're just looking for something to drink right now and get through this thing. This is the toughest podcast we've had to do in a long time. Everything was filled with optimism. I'm still optimistic, of course, but it's it's hard to have any at this point in time. So you drink a little bit of alcohol, you wait. I don't know, you focus on fantasy football, you watch the other games. There's been some great games in the NFL so far this year. None of them have been from Gang Green, but from other teams, definitely some good football to be to be watched. So that is what's on tap. Now, before we go over to the defensive side of the ball, we do have to take a quick commercial break. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. We are going to quickly talk about the Jets' defense. They gave up 26 points in this game. It was only two touchdowns, and then it was a handful of, well, more than a handful. It was a bunch of field goals. Um, the Broncos obviously played a great game, executed well, didn't have many turnovers. There was one fumble from Javante Williams that he lost, but Teddy Bridgewater held onto the ball. Team moved the ball downfield. They ran pretty well for 120-something yards. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater threw for 230, and the defense was on the field for so much of the game. Overall, the defense is asked to do way too much. When the offense has 24 minutes time of possession to your 35, or the other team's 35, when you've got 11 first downs to their 22, and your defense is on the field for the entire game multiple weeks in a row, it wears on you. It wears on you in one game. It wears on you week after week. And I'm actually pretty impressed this defense has only given up 26 points. It's only two touchdowns. You know, they're giving up field goals instead of touchdowns. They're getting off the field in some big spots. They're not making flashy plays. They're not getting interceptions. They're not getting a ton of sacks. And that's the one thing that'll really take this defense to the next level. But they can't get to that fiery, juicy rage level until they're not playing on the field all the time. They got to be rested. They got to, I think every single game we've seen them on their early drives, first drive, second drive, third drive, look like some of their best play of the entire game. And then it kind of goes downhill. The Jets go three and out, put the defense back on the field, and they start to get waned, and the other team is resting up. It's a lot for them. And the defensive line in this game, they switched things up a little bit. Quinn and Williams has been double teamed a ton this year, and he's been playing the most snaps at nose tackle. This week, he actually played less than full Alonzo Fadakasi and Sheldon Rankins. And in this game, he had his first sack of the game, and another half sack. He had two quarterback hits, tackle for a loss, four tackles, and he is, Quinn and Williams, our defensive player of the game. Really happy to see Quinn Williams finally getting through. He was double teamed on a bunch of plays still in this game. But even at 50%, I think he's coming in a little bit more rested, a little bit more juiced. And you saw him barrel through like two guys blocking him for one of his sacks, coming through for the other one, converging with Bryce Huff. And, you know, it's good to see a little life from Quinn Williams. This is a game where not much was happening again. We had that one forced fumble. We didn't have any interceptions. I mean, C.J. Mosley could have been a, a close player of the game with his 10 tackles and him being all over the field, but it wasn't quite as dominant as he was the week before. Quinn coming up, playing like this after being double teamed for most of the year. Very pleased with his one and a half sacks. He is our defensive player of the game. You look at the rest of the defensive line, we need to see more. Shaq Lawson's made some plays, but in this game he didn't. It seems like, I don't know if it's just me, but does Shaq Lawson make one bonehead play in every single game? One dumb penalty somewhere where you're just like, oh, who was that? Oh, Shaq Lawson. This game, he did it again. Another penalty. Just like every game, he shows up in a negative way. In this game, he didn't have any sort of positive output. Uh, we got guys like Tim Ward playing a lot of snaps. Bryce Huff. I mean, Bryce Huff had that half sack and that quarterback hit. But Bryce Huff and Tim Ward, guys that are getting like 15, 20, 25, 30 snaps per game, they're not doing anything with it. 
and it's making it tough because, you know, we don't have Carl Lawson. We don't have John Franklin Myers in this game. We need somebody to get after the quarterback, and they're pushing from the middle. Most of the pressure came from the middle with Quinn and Williams and Foley Patakasi and Sheldon Rankins. But obviously this team, this defense is built on a pass rush. Right now, we don't really have it. When you look at the linebackers, we are not getting anything from the outside linebackers. It's a it's a mix of one side. You know, I had Jamie and Sherwood coming back this week playing like 30 snaps. Delshawn Phillips was playing there. You got Quincy Williams playing some. On the other side, you got Hamza Nasraldine, who early in the season looked like it was his job to lose as a starter, and he's slowly been phased out of the defense. He's not giving us anything. Quincy Williams is the guy that's coming in and making some big plays. He's not that good. He makes mistakes. He can be slow at times. He can take bad pursuit angles. But every once in a while, he makes a really big hit, makes a nice tackle in the backfield. He does enough to show up and make plays, but he's not a consistent every-down player. I think that you'd love to see a Jamie and Sherwood or a Hampson Nasraldine take his spot, but they just haven't done enough yet to get that, to earn the timeshare. The defensive backfield, I'm still pretty pleased with the cornerbacks. I think that Brandon Eccles has been solid and tackles way better than I thought he would. I think that Michael Carter is good. He's kind of, he's still getting a bigger snap count than uh, Javelin Guidry. So I think it goes to show that Michael Carter too is doing a good job and he's kind of progressing within this defense, becoming one of the main guys. Bryce Hall's playing all right. When you look at the Broncos, they had 37 yards for Cortland Sutton, who had 160 last week and was a big, you know, big threat. KJ Hamler had one catch for 28 yards. Then you had Tim Patrick. He was the big guy, five catches, 98 yards on five targets. We weren't able to stop him. He made a couple crazy grabs, too, that were just like, really? But that's all they got from their wide receivers. The 28 yards on one catch to Hamler, three ca- five catches for 37 yards to Sutton, and five catches for 98 yards to Tim Patrick. Again, these cornerbacks are not getting exposed. And you'd think at this point in time, even though it's just Sam Darnold, Mac Jones, and Drew, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, these are kind of like more conservative-style quarterbacks, but you'd think that the wide receivers would be able to expose these cornerbacks a little bit more to date because we knew that it was like a very raw young group here. So far, Brandon Eccles, Michael Carter too, Javelin Guidry, these guys are holding their own. So pleased with them at safety. I mean, Marcus May is playing solid safety. He's coming up in the box a bit to help out. Um, he's getting a decent amount of tackles. He had nine tackles in this game, I think. He's doing well. The guy next to him, not so good, whether it's Adrian Colwer, whether it's Sheldrick Redwine, Gerard Wilson, whoever does, they move back into the other safety spot. We need to get somebody better. Luckily, we have Bastion Davis and Sherrod Neesman hopefully working their way back soon, so it's a spot that should be improved in the near future. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's tough. And like I said, the defense is playing all right. They're asked to do more than they should have to do because they're on the field for most of the game, and it's tough week after week. But I think Robert Sala is actually coaching this team up. Jeff Albrecht, it's the bright spot on the team. The defense is the better unit. Outside linebacker, really tough. Pass rush, not so good. Backup safety, it's been a struggle. But the cornerbacks, the interior pass rush from Sheldon Rankins, Quinnen Williams, the middle linebacker and C.J. Mosley, there's a lot to like on this defense still, and they are giving up field goals instead of touchdowns, getting off the field at the right time, and making a few plays here and there. So, solid job there. Quinn Williams, our defensive player of the game. When you go over to the special team side of the ball, this one would have been tricky if not for one great play to find a special teams player of the game. We had one kick return or punt return from Braxton Berrios for 21 yards. This is a play that they had a taunting penalty to the Broncos after scoring a touchdown, and they were punting the ball from like, or kicking off from like the 25-yard line. Braxton Berrios should have been able to do a lot more than a 21-yard return. We also had a penalty, an illegal block in that one, Ended up starting like the 10-yard line, so that was his only return for the game. May Amendola, he did make a kick from 56 yards, but it was a delay of game. 
We could have given it to Thomas Hennessy for good snaps, but he probably was to fault for the delay of game. You got to get that ball snapped early so you can get the three points, not get shut out. Thomas Morissette had six punts in this game. Two were inside 20. There was nothing really special in there as long as 51 yards. It wasn't a, a Braden Man-like performance. It was a notch down. So who do you give special teams player of the game to? One man, one man only, Delshawn Phillips, for tipping a punt, forcing Sam Martin, the punter of the Broncos, to get a 26-yard punt. He didn't completely block it, but he got a fingertip on it rushing up the middle. It happened really quick. I don't think the coverage even mentioned who it was. It was Delshawn Phillips, our backup outside linebacker, and he got his hand on the ball, 26-yard punt, best special teams play of the day. He is our special teams player of the game. So thank you for that fingernail that made the decision so much easier than, like, who the hell are we going to give it to? I could have even considered Justin Hardy, another special teams player, who was getting down there on punt coverage, but he got a penalty for taunting a player after a fair catch. He was like, rah, rah, rah. whatever it was, they throw a flag, or it's like, oh, my God. So even he was making mistakes. It's uh, It was a tough go. This whole game, we got to move past this game. And guess what? We're right on schedule. We can move past it. Let's talk about the AFC East really quick, talk Titans, and then get out of here. In the AFC East, we had the Bills dominating the Washington football team. They crushed them 43-21. to Their next game against the Texans at home, 1 p.m. So they have a very easy game there. The Bills should be winning that going to 3-1. and The Patriots, they lose to New Orleans 28-13. to Their next game is home against the Bucks at 8-20 on Sunday Night Football. That is going to be awesome. That's the big revenge game for Tom Brady. Tom Brady just lost with the Bucks this past week to the Rams. You hope that he's like a little fired up. As much as we may not like Tom Brady, we need to hope that he crushes the Patriots. I would so much rather the whole team be successful because of Tom Brady and not Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is my least favorite person. He's in all of sports. He is a a gross, vile, rude man who has had a pretty bad career away from Tom Brady, and it's continuing now. And watching Tom Brady come in here and crush him one time at home on Sunday Night Football will feel, hopefully, pretty darn good. So looking for a Patriots loss there. Mac Jones is continuing to not look good. He can't move the ball down the field. He refuses to try to pick up third and tens, third and sevens. He just throws the ball three yards to a guy that's open. You know, you hope that maybe he's just getting comfortable and eventually develops. But every time they try to force him to throw the ball deep and dial some stuff up, hey, throw 25 yards, he's not hitting the guys either. So not much to be impressed with in terms of Mac Jones. Obviously, we can't say much because Zach Wilson has looked like one of the worst quarterbacks we've ever seen play for the Jets so far. But it is nice to see that he's not just coming out here rock and rolling 3-0 and right now or something with the Patriots about to take the division back. That's not the case. That team is struggling. They should go to 1-3 and after losing to the Bucks. And then you got the Dolphins who lost an overtime game to the Raiders, actually playing with Jacoby Brissett instead of Tua Tungavailoa. They actually had a chance to win that game. The Raiders scored a couple field goals in overtime. They win it, and the Dolphins have to try to bounce back at home against Indianapolis 1 p.m. So that one's kind of up in the air. Jacoby Brissett, if he plays again, then you're wondering, all right, it's like Carson Wentz or his backup versus Jacoby Brissett. That could be an interesting game. 50-50, Dolphins probably will win it because they're probably a slightly better defense at this point. But we shall see. Overall, the AFC East, the Bills are in first place. They're 2-1 and one right now. Then you got the Dolphins and the Patriots at 1-2, and two, and the Jets are the only team 0-3. So, yeah, we technically are only two games back. It's only three games into the season, and we are already two games back, but it's not out of reach. If the Jets go on a run, they can absolutely be back in the mix for the AFC East. They have a minus 50-point differential. Minus 50. That's insane. That is the worst mark in the entire NFL. The Falcons come close at 46. Minus 46. We play them soon in London, but 
minus 50 point differential. We're not scoring. We're just frankly not scoring as much as any team in the league. This is like the worst offense in the entire NFL. Unbelievable. So, what do the Jets do to try to bounce back to get to one and three? How can we get this season back on track? Well, the only chance right now comes against Tennessee. The Jets are playing at home like every other AFC East team this week. 1 p.m. on CBS. The Jets were 10.5 underdogs to the Broncos. Obviously, they lost by 26, so it wasn't even doing justice to the Broncos and how bad the Jets are. In this week, the Jets are 7.5 point underdogs currently, which is, you know, you give three points to being home. It's basically the same as a 10.5 road dog against the Broncos. Right back there. Jets aren't favored to win this game. I don't think the Jets are going to win this game. I think it's possible. I do think the stars could align, and I could imagine Zach Wilson throwing for big yardage and big plays happening, but we haven't seen anything yet to make us think that that's actually going to happen. So until we see Zach Wilson execute, Michael Floor call a good game plan, the offensive line holds it down, the running game tear it up, until we see the defense make some really big splash plays, get after the quarterback, pick off the ball, score on defense, you know, punt return touchdowns from Braxton Barrios, however we have to do it, until we see stuff like that actually happening, it's hard to think that this team's going to get anything done. Now, they have a good offense in Tennessee. they got the third-best rushing attack in the entire league, 160 yards per game. Their passing attack's a little bit weaker, 21st in the league at 223 yards per game. So you're not talking about a dominant offense, but you're talking about a dominant running game, and it's because of Derrick Henry. We know that guy's an absolute beast, rips through tackles, gets big gainers. As your defense gets tired, if our offense can't stay on the field and we're consistently punting the ball away, and the Titans have the ball for like 35 minutes, even if we can stop Derrick Henry early, we will not stop him late. We can't be on the field on defense the entire game. Derrick Henry's too big, too hard to tackle. It's just, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. So you got to stop him early. You got to score some points. You got to put the ball in Ryan Tannehill's hands. If you want to beat this team, you got to get a lead. You got to get them away from running Derrick Henry because if you fall down 13 0 in the second half and your offense doesn't do anything, they're going to cruise to a victory. No question. No question. I mean, you got a banged up A.J. Brown. Number one receiver right now is Julio Jones. It's not a super scary offense. It's just that Derrick Henry and trying to take a lead against that team and force to Ryan Tannehill. You know, they're 2-1 and one right now, but they got smoked by the Cardinals. They barely won in a dogfight against the Seattle Seahawks. Then they beat the Colts, so it's not been a perfect start to their season. They're in a very, very weak division, so they could potentially be like 8-9 and nine and win the AFC South. Um, but, you know, it's their team is a minus 6 turnover differential. So they're turning the ball over way more than they're forcing turnovers. They're not a big play team. It really comes down to Derrick Henry and some play action passes from Ryan Tannehill, some catches from Julio Jones. There's not much more going on here. Their defense is all right. They have a pretty good secondary. They have Janoris Jenkins, who has changed his name to Jack Rabbit Jenkins, which is absolutely ridiculous. Um, they've got Kevin Byard, who's a really good safety. they got a rookie nickel cornerback who I really liked, Elijah Molden, who's been pretty good to start. When it comes to like their defensive line, their outside linebackers, They've been getting a lot of pressure from Harold Landry. He had a bunch last week. But overall, this defense is not a super strong unit. And this is the first time when you look at the Jets' schedule and you say, this is the team that the Jets need to try to get the offense going. This is the team that if Zach Wilson's going to throw the ball deep or stand in the pocket or deliver to these guys or Elijah Moore is going to get big gainers or whatever it is, this is the first team that it actually feasibly could happen because of Tennessee Titans' mistakes and not just the Jets having to out-execute. We have not executed anybody thus far, right? We need to be like, you know, the Cardinals scoring 38 on them. The Seahawks scored 30 on them. The Colts scored only 16, but Carson Wentz, we know what's up with him. I mean, we'd, we'd love to score 16 at this point. It would be our season high. So let's see what the Jets can do. 
I have them losing this game 13-26. to 26. I think that our defense is pretty good. Derrick Henry will grind us down if we can't score 13 points. Why am I saying we can score 13 points? I don't know. We just scored zero, six points the game before that. But I still think that against this Tennessee Titans defense, the Jets can get some offense going. I'm seeing a touchdown in there. A couple of field goals from Matt Amendola. Still a loss. The Titans are a solid team. The Jets are not. So, unfortunately, until we see otherwise, it's going to stay like that. Um, so, we'll see what happens against this team. Obviously, the Jets, big-time underdogs. Eventually, hopefully, will be a trap game. We're playing at home here. So, opportunity. There's an opportunity, and I'm excited about it. Um, the last thing I guess I should be touching on the Seahawks. The Jets have the Seahawks' first overall pick next year. The Seahawks are now 1-2 and two and struggling, and it's awesome because every single time the Seahawks lose, the Jets' draft pick for next year goes up a spot. So that's very important. We need as many good players as we can get. Obviously, we see it. Um, and earlier draft picks, just so much more value. Let's follow the Seahawks. Let's keep rooting for them to lose. Let's root for the Jets to win, to get a big win against the Tennessee Titans, to prove me wrong, to prove everybody wrong, and just like, hey, listen, we know we sucked the first three weeks, but we are improving. Show us some stuff. Show us some life. It's your first somewhat softball in the Tennessee Titans of the season. They're still probably a playoff team, but easier to play for the offense than the first few teams. Take advantage of it. Let's get some things going. Let's get a little bit of momentum. Let's see some players getting involved. Let's score a touchdown for crying out loud. And let's make next week a little bit more fun to talk about. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. Until next week, I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>